Take your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to be speaking on one verse, but we're going to read it in context here. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 11. And then towards the end, we'll refer back to the end of this chapter. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will overflow in every good work as it is written he scattered he gave to the poor his righteousness remains forever and he who provides seed to the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing and will increase the harvest of your righteousness You will be made rich in every way so that you may be generous in every way, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So I've just read the end of the chapter because it just flows right in. We're going to focus on that first verse. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for uh, the privilege we have to enter into your presence with thanksgiving. And Lord, our hearts are overflowing with thanksgiving because of all that we just sang about. That your grace has called us out of darkness into light and you've sent your son to secure it for us through the cross. And one day you're gonna come back for us and we'll we'll stand before your throne singing praises forevermore and it's your grace that will lead us home. Lord, we are just thankful people But Lord, we know that oftentimes we get distracted and and there's things that come in the way and so there is really desire to be thankful but then it's actually uh, uh, drawn away by the things of the world or by our our own little things and tasks that we have to do throughout the day. And so I prayed this morning that you you would again refresh our hearts and our minds through the word. And maybe there's folks that have known of you and your, and your grace for a long time. Would you quicken their hearts again? And maybe there would just be a, a renewal in their hearts of all that you've done for them that would just propel them into more service of thanksgiving to you. Or maybe there are folks here that, that have, have never met you and they don't know you as, as Lord and Savior and they don't know of this wonderful grace that you freely give we ask that you would open up hearts and minds and eyes to see of this gift this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Thanksgiving. How did you eat? Good, I hope so. Most of us would say that we ate too much. I think uh, if, if there was a, a little video camera in all of our homes uh, this uh, Thanksgiving day after our meal, you could just see all of us laying on the couch in the recliner, watching football, having a good time with family. 
But we ate a lot. We ate good turkey and stuffing and, and casseroles and dessert, pies, that, that maybe would make you want to go into a coma. Maybe it did. Oftentimes, too much of something causes some real issues. While a lot of things are not good in large doses, this is God's grace. His undeserved love and his undeserved favor for us is not one of those things. Not only is it wonderful to have an overabundance, an oversupply of grace, but if we were honest this morning, it'd be pretty obvious that all of us are in need of more grace. In our text this morning, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and, and in the verses uh, prior to this, he's, he's just encouraged them to be generous in their giving and supporting the work of the church and, and the fellow Christians, but where would they get the resources to do this kind of giving, and, and why in the world would they want to do it? Many of you have enjoyed Black Friday, or maybe you've endured Black Friday, or maybe you're just waiting for Cyber Monday. We're bombarded with all of these opportunities to buy and really so that we can give because Christmas is coming. And sometimes we give out of responsibility or duty or maybe because we just pulled their name out of a hat. I don't know if your family does that. We buy and give and sometimes our motives aren't right and we can't give what we should. But Paul is communicating in a way that our giving flows from a source that is abundant. He says, God is able to make all grace overflow to you. And what are the results of this unmeasured, overabundant grace? Well, he says it, in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will overflow in every good work. All, 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 every. When God is involved, there's nothing lacking. Everything we need is here and provided. Consider your life. How many times have you ever gone hungry? Not the kind of hungry that says it's time to eat, but the hungry that says, I wish I had food, but there is none. I'll just go to sleep and hope for the best in the morning. I mean, how many of you have ever had a time in your life where you had nothing to wear? Not because you didn't do laundry, but because your last piece of clothing was ruined and unwearable. I mean, how many of you have slept under the stars on the beach or on the sidewalk, not because you chose to go camping or to rough it for a few days, but because you didn't have a home or a roof to put over your head? We took a wrong turn in the city this week, and, uh, and uh, we actually went north and came back down, and we drove by the mission. I know this is of the Lord, and we were able just to see the homeless and I said to my daughter, Mylia, look out the window. All these people have no home. And they're lining up because they have no food. And, and actually this mission, they're doing a great job by giving food, but they only have so much food. And so you got to get there by a certain time, and you see some of them laying on the street, and it's so cold out. And, and many of the homeless, they have no roof over their heads and no food to eat and no clothes to wear. How many times have you gone hungry? No clothes, no roof. All things, 
At all times, having all that you need, God provides. He provides through your family. He provides through the people who care about you. He provides through your hard work in your jobs. He guarantees that you have what you need, even if it means uh, working a miracle to feed a crowd of 5,000 with just one simple lunch. He has the power and the ability to make sure that, that you're taken care of and, 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 and have everything that you need for life and godliness. I had some teeth work done this week and a kind friend and the doctor that was there covered all the expenses. I was amazed. He takes care of us. But that doesn't even touch the real overflow of God's undeserved love for us. It doesn't even touch what it means. So why do we call God's love undeserved in the first place? I mean, what makes it that God really should not love us? Well, it's because we have sinned against him. God demands perfection from us, and we have been far from perfect. Even one sin means that God will turn his back from us, and yet we sin in so many ways each and every day. You would say, well, how do you know that I sin? Well, if we were just to live with you, we would know. I mean, if you were to live in my house, you would know that I sin. We are unkind to the people around us. We don't do the things that we know we should do. We think bad thoughts against other people. We make other things more important in our lives than God and his word. We lust, we hold grudges, we're angry, we're irritable, we're selfish, and we're proud. On our own, we could not be the more opposite of what God expects that we are. So guess what? God is able to make all grace overflow to you and so this verse comes at the end of paul just encouraging and challenging and pleading with the church of corinth regarding giving to those in needs and and it is concerned with giving this text is but i think there's room for us to look at it in a broad way because there's a promise here and he communicates a promise that can be applied to all of our lives and this is the way it actually reads in the greek God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is his promise of grace. You might be here today and you're wondering, so what is grace? We we sang about it. I mean, what is so amazing about it that you're going to sing about grace? I mean, it's not the fact that they give you a grace on your your credit card bill that's overdue. There's a grace period. That's so kind of them. Comes with some uh, interest. (laughs) But what is so amazing about it? I'm just going to take some time and explain it a little bit because grace is the foundation of everything we believe. It's the foundation of Christianity. We we would never forget it or else it would be lost. The word is used over and over again. And oftentimes we undermine its strength and its power and the ability to actually work in our lives. There's no Christianity apart from grace. So let's go back to the beginning. It's grace that planned our salvation before the world began. It's grace that purposed it way before we were ever born. Let me take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. This is Paul talking to Timothy. 
his son in the faith, and, and he says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I mean, he's really motivating Timothy to suffer for the gospel. And he's, but he says, long before the world began or before he could ever do anything good or bad, he purposed grace. So what does that mean? It means that, that really it's not about any, any good work that we could ever do. Because it was stored up in ages past. It, it, God's purpose stands not because of our works, because of he who calls us and, 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 and he who, who, who saved us with the holy calling. And it's not because of our works. It was grace that was stored up. And so we know that grace from before time began was the plan. But not only that, it was grace that secures us through salvation. Look at verse 10 in 2 Timothy 1. Has now been revealed, abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He says, which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life. This is the message. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of grace. And, and, and John 3 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God sending his Son so that grace could be revealed. Romans 8, 32 says, He who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I said earlier that we are far from perfect and we have all sinned. Fact is, the Bible calls us rebels. We are rebels with God. We, we don't even want God. We hate God and we are people who are helpless and we deserve death in hell. This is actually who we are. This is who I am. But the only begotten Son of God was sent into the world full of grace and truth. He was holy and harmless, but he, he, he went to the cross to die for our sins. The one who knew no sin, he became sin for us. The just for the unjust. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. I'll be saying a number of verses. You can turn to them if you'd like, but I'll read it here. 1 Peter 2, 24. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He didn't have to come. 
He didn't have to suffer or die the way that he suffered, but he suffered for me and he suffered for you to secure our redemption. He paid the price for our sins. Paul Tripp posted this this week and uh, I thought it was a great poem. I'm going to read it. It says, There was only one Black Friday. It was not the day after Thanksgiving, and it was not a day when self-oriented consumers bumped into, climbed over, pushed into, screamed at, and hated the other consumers who were in their way. No, all the action of the one Black Friday was on a hill of death outside the city where three souls hung on crosses, two criminals and the Messiah doing what he came to do and what the world was desperate for. That Friday, the world went dark. The father turned his back, graves opened, the veil ripped in two, and the son carried the father's anger. Death was offered so life could be given. Darkness fell so light would shine. Payment made, freedom given, redemption accomplished. There was only one Black Friday. No need to shop anymore for a savior. This is what he came to do. Grace planned our salvation before the ages, and grace secures it. But not only that, it's grace that delivers us and saves us. Ephesians chapter 2. We read this last week in our praise time, but verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, you have been saved. We have been made alive. What grace did on the cross for us, it actually, it's personal by giving us the faith to believe because in verse eight he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not on your own. It's not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We talked about this earlier, how grace was planned before we were even thought of because there was nothing good that we could even plan in our own life to, to, to earn our way to receive this gift. And so here we are in this world and we know who we are. We're, we're rebels, we're sinners, we're at war with God and we've turned away from him and yet he's, he's given us grace through Jesus And he's given us grace to actually believe. It is through faith. And it's not on our own. It's not about adhering to the practices or the law or the rules. We are going to see that good works flow out of grace. It is is the basis of our faith. It's the foundation of our faith. It's it's not about the things that we can measure up to or how we can kind of just stack all the good up in our lives. It's the foundation of what we believe. It's not about us. And so grace was given to us through Jesus on the cross, through salvation, and he secured it. He delivered us from from death. But not only that, it actually is grace that helps us to become more like Jesus. Titus chapter 2, if you turn there, verse 11 and 12. Titus 2, 
is part of, of understanding the grace of God and, and is coming humbly before him and saying, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner and I, I, I can't do it all on my own and I, by faith, want to put my trust in you. And so, so he promises, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And when you do that, you're, you're, you're his child. But then it's still grace that actually continues with us and carries us through. Titus 2, 11 through 12, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And this is what it does, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ let's keep going, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Guess what? Grace appears to us and grace changes us. I don't know about you, but I have, I, when, when God opened up my eyes and and, and turn me from darkness to light and put me on the road through the cross of Jesus, there was a lot of baggage. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that still today that, that God through his grace is helping to change about me. There's no secret potion. There's no like, you know, secret water that you drink that all of a sudden you're gonna be perfect. I mean, you can be the most disciplined person in the world, but you can't change yourself. It's actually grace that changes us, and, he, and it not only saves us, but changes us and teaches us to live differently. God's grace is the one, as we open up his word and we see what he's done for us, he trains us to live differently. Are you the same person you were before you trusted in Jesus? We're different. We're not different because of the clothes that we wear. We're not different because we don't go to certain places or we don't do certain things. We're, we're different because he's changing us from the inside out by grace. There's many people over the years that, whether it's marriage problems or, or, or whether it's a, 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 an, a, an alcoholic problem or whether it's an addiction to something and, and they're sitting in front of you and they're so desperate and they just want the answer and the answer is not in, a, in, in you just coming to a special program. It's actually only found in Jesus. He is the one that can break the chains of sin and set you free. And it's only by his grace but it's not just that, it, 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 it's, it's grace that, that secures us from before we were born, and it's grace that saves us and delivers us, and it's grace that, that changes us, but it's also grace that we've sung about it this morning, that one day will perfect us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter tells these believers to fix their hope completely on grace. Our hope is in nothing else, in no one else. 
set your hope fully on grace. And it's not the grace now that's changing us, but it's the grace that's going to come with Jesus when he comes back for us the second time. It, it, it's what we should be doing now. It really is to gird up the loins of our mind and look for grace in Jesus. We're not just living aimlessly now. We actually have a purpose to live. We've sung about the race that we're, we're in, in faith, and, and we're looking to Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. And so our salvation of, and eternity rest only and is held only together by grace. There's nothing that we can do to, to secure eternity on our own. Ephesians 2, 7 says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All of eternity is held together by grace. Man, I'm so thankful because I have four children and my wife, and, and there's nothing that I would want more than for them to enjoy eternity with Jesus. But I can't do anything to secure that for them. And they can't do anything to secure that for themselves. Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life, and he, is, he was a gift given by the Father to us that, that we would accept him and that we would, we would run to him knowing that we cannot save ourselves and one day, will be with him. It's grace that flows all throughout what we believe. It's the foundation. This is who we are. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, grace reigns and, and grace is made available to us as believers so that we may abound in all things. Why is God able to do this? I mean, why? Why would he say this promise to us that we would abound in all things? Because we are in grace. Most of us get, get this if we know Jesus and say we are Christians, that there is nothing in us that could save ourselves. It's grace. We would rejoice in that. But where we would go wrong is, is by forgetting the fact that, that now we are saved, nothing has changed. I mean, sometimes we're often tempted to, to actually think better of ourselves than what we really are. We're still helpless. We're still in need. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. This is what he told his disciples. And then to the Galatians, he says this, O foolish Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And what happens when you know Jesus is that we, 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 instead of tapping into this overabundance of grace every single moment of every single day, we start to actually do the things that he saved us from. We can't save ourselves, but we, we set up our own little boundaries and our own little, little rules and our own little ways of living that make us feel good. I did this. 
But Paul's own testimony to the Corinthians was, was by the grace of God. I mean, he says it over and over again. He says, I am what I am. Fact is, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God. I mean, he says, I've done a lot of stuff, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not even me. I've thought about this many times. It's, I mean, do you remember who Paul was? He was Saul. He was he, he killed Christians, he murdered them, and he, he hated God. And, and, and then he, on the road to Damascus, I mean, he was, he, he was struck and he was blinded. And God rescued him. I mean, he went from one lifestyle to a whole different lifestyle of, of, of preaching the gospel of grace. He never forgot who he was. We, we are to never forget what we've been rescued from. When we understand the grace of God, then, then all of a sudden there's something that, that helps us to be able to do the good works that he tells us to do. Pride says this, I can do it by myself. I can stand on my own two feet. I will be the best parent. I will be the best spouse. I will get the best job. I'll be the best coach, the best musician, the best salesman, businessman, realtor, lawyer. And we can shift all of what we believe, what we believe about grace to ourself really fast. And this is where the rubber meets the road for us. C.J. Mahaney writes this and gives, us, gives a perspective on Paul's example for us. He says this, Paul's godly attitude toward the Corinthian church and his sincere affection for the believers is a profound demonstration of the grace of God. No church he served was ever in more desperate need of an adjustment than this one. There is doctrinal error. They drifted from the centrality of the cross and, and started seducing men by human wisdom. There were divisions within the church that resulted in four factions all needing correction. Immorality was in their midst that would appall the average pagan, by which, but which incites only tolerance by the Corinthian church, something that they were actually proud of. They were a lawsuit happy bunch. Their corporate gatherings were not for better, but for the worse in 1 Corinthians 11. And some of them even came drunk. They misunderstood and misused the gifts of the Spirit. There was major opposition to Paul himself and, and, and his apostolic authority. And yet, the opening lines of his letter, Paul communicates a passionate affection to the church. And he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. There was no judging or being critical or pride because Paul knew how much grace he had actually received himself. And what he was doing was, was actively looking for evidences of grace in other people. This is how we know that we fully understand the grace of God. I mean, how can you love someone that continues to turn on you? I've turned against God many times 
and I've sinned against God many times, and yet he, he runs to me with grace, and he runs to me and forgives me, but when I'm faced with that reality of who I was and who I am, it's that grace that then allows or is able to flow out of me towards others. You see, you can try to be the kindest person in the world, but at some point, you're going to get irritated. <laughs> and you're going to get frustrated. And you might even have the, the reputation of being really sweet. But at some point, there will be a sour moment. But even the sweetness, even the kindness that we desire, it doesn't come from us doing it. It actually flows from all that God has given to us through grace. So the emphasis of this verse is that grace is the foundation of everything, but let me just talk about the source of all grace. It's God. Paul tells us about God right here in verse number eight. God is able. And sometimes we've talked about this earlier that we, 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 we think of grace as undeserved favor and undeserved love. We don't deserve it and he gives it to us and that's true. We, we are helpless and that's only the beginning. But this grace that, that flows from God, is a, he's the source of all grace, which means there's power. The grace that flows from God is not just undeserved favor, but it is the power of God. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, just a page over. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Second Corinthians chapter four, five to seven is actually another text there, but history shows us all throughout the Bible the power of God. I mean, he, he showed it to us through uh, his, his love for Israel and how he demonstrated his power. How did he work it out in their lives? He opened up the Red Sea. I mean, God made water flow from a rock. God was able to defeat the enemies of Israel and sometimes just walking around the city. It was nothing because of the people. I mean, all they did was actually complain. It was because he loved them. And because of this great love, he just he poured out his power for them and he fed the multitudes and he healed the sick and the blind as we've been studying in Mark and, and he enabled the disciples with power. And God even helped Paul to endure suffering because that was the, the context of, of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God gave him the power You know, it's not just about his undeserved favor and love, but it's the, the strength of God. He's the source of all strength to give to us all that we need. You might say, well, I just can't do it anymore. Well, it's because you're not tapped into the source. You're trying to do it all on your own. We're going back to the beginning. 
And maybe you're a mom, and maybe you're just, there's so much to do with the kids and, and life, and, and you're just trying to do it on your own. Or maybe you're the dad, and, and you're just trying to make it all work with the finances, and you're trying to get your job and everything in order. You come home, and it's just crazy, and you can't do it. You can do all things through Christ. It's the, the source of all grace. But not only that, it, his grace never goes dry. It's not like you've tapped into all the grace for the day, and then it has to, like, uh, you know, it has to get, you know, replenish over the night, and in the morning we get more grace. It doesn't work like that. All the resources of God never runs out, and it never goes dry. It always overflows. That means everything you need. There's never a point in your life where grace will fail, and the cross Proves that in Romans chapter 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And he says, I will supply all your needs according to my riches in Christ Jesus. No power or resources withheld for me or for you. All that overflows to you and me, it's overflowing. It never goes dry. And his grace is more than enough. His grace is ready for whatever you need in your job, your marriage, your temptations that, that maybe bombard you every single day, the needs of your heart from the time you, you get up in bed and you roll out of bed to the time you lay down at night. When the kids are fighting and arguing and, and they're whining, there's grace. When your car breaks down, there's grace. When, it, when we disagree with, your, with our spouse, when we're sick, when there is a job that needs to be done, when we are sharing our faith with those who don't know Jesus, there is grace. And sometimes it's easy to focus on the fact that we are in a valley. And in this valley, it's so dry and it's so empty. But even in the valley, we have the source of all grace. Drink of it. Focus on it. Sometimes we think it's more spiritual to wallow in what I am not and where I am instead of enjoying what we have. Have you ever, have you ever done that before? You like talk to your friend and you start just talking about everything you're not as if that actually makes you look better and actually makes you feel a bit more spiritual. I'm acknowledging it, but acknowledging who you are is not what we need. We actually say, this is who I am and I need more of his grace today. And I can enjoy his grace in that moment. We know we are broken and weak and dry and empty. Don't sit and feel sorry for yourself. We live in abundant grace that is sufficient for everything. And so here's the end of this, of this verse. God's grace is the, is the foundation of what we believe, and, and God's grace, uh, it, he's the source of all grace, but here at the end, God's grace is what allows us to, to abound in every good work. You see, grace is not just, um, sometimes we think, well, man, I have grace, and I've, I'm forgiven, and so I can just do whatever I want now. Actually, that's the way the carnal man thinks in Galatians. Grace is given so that we can abound in every good work. Grace is not given so that you can be selfish. 
Yeah, I have grace, and so I don't need to do anything. Actually, what, going back to Paul, it just flows out of him because he knows what God's grace has done for him. And so this is what it's talking about. At all times, you may abound in every good work. It's being divinely energized to do good works. This is not an, an energizement from, from a friend or from a, some peer. It's from God. He divinely energizes you, gives you the power and the ability to do what you cannot do. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to, toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. He's not comparing himself to anybody else. And man, that person over there is working harder than me. I better work harder. No, it was motivated by the grace of God. The very purpose he gives us is abundant grace and good works are the fruit of grace. It's not the foundation of grace. We don't stand on our good works lest we boast. And in this text, the focus is giving to the needy saints every good work, but not just giving. It's prayer and reading the word and, and meditation and worship and evangelism. The way that we work in our jobs, it's hospitality and missions. The grace comes to be abounding in all of these things. It's, 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 it's going to be flowing out in all of these little channels of our life. It's not just in this one area and then we get to be selfish in the other areas. We give of ourselves believing that there is grace to help and the path of blessing is the path of obedience. It's not about what we do, but about what he has told us to do and there he gives us grace. This Thanksgiving holiday and going into Christmas, it's so easy to go through another holiday just living for ourselves and doing everything by ourselves. We gotta do this, and we gotta do this, and we gotta do this, and, and all of a sudden we do it, and we get to a point in our lives when we look back over, over uh, all the years, and, and you, just, you don't really have good memories of the fact that God was the one pouring out his grace to you. You just have these memories of like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> it's gonna get crazy. Oh, no, I don't wanna do any more. I don't want to give anymore. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to be available. They're going to ask for help, and I can't help because, man, my schedule is really crazy. Well, because you're drawing on your own strength. And I'm not here to make you feel guilty about it. I just want you to actually say, do I believe that the grace of God is all that I need and will abound in every good work? He is the one that's going to let it flow through me. And grace produces the desire and gives us the power to do it. Here's some questions. Is there anything in this world worth the loss of your own soul? If you could gain the whole world, what is it that compared to your soul and eternity separated from the presence of God? What can any temporary pleasure of this world compared to the one in whose presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? If you could see all of his glory, you would say like Paul, I count it all as rubbish. 
Maybe you've never experienced the grace of God for your own soul. This morning, it's not, you don't have to do anything other than look to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He is the one that works in our hearts and draws our hearts to him. There's no test. There's, no, there's nothing you have to pass. It, it's understanding who I am, and it's understanding what he's given to me through his grace and accepting it. Maybe you, know, maybe you do know Jesus, and you have trusted in him. It's our flesh that pulls us away so we can be comfortable and live easy, there is enough help to, to, to help for us and care for all that we need when we leave all and follow him. And we've learned that through the study of Mark. Guess what? Every need will be met. There is never any loss serving Jesus. He's able to make all grace abound to you. Do you believe him? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. How do we respond to something like this? Well, I would like to ask if there's anybody here that has never trusted in Jesus and never understood the grace of God that's available freely. Maybe you don't even know how, how, how God, the source of all grace, is able to, to just constantly have it flowing towards me. This morning, you can know him. You can trust in him. We would love to take a Bible and show you how you can know the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you do know Jesus. How would you respond to this? As you serve him, other people are blessed. That's the overflow, and thanksgiving abounds. Everything we do for him is grace, and it all goes back to him in praise and thanksgiving. Any gift that we get from God through grace is not just enjoyed by us, it's actually enjoyed with and by others. You see, it just has this unbelievable effect to the people that are around us. And so guess what? We want to tell people about it. We want to see thousands uh, thousands of people here in the valley rejoice because of his grace. That's what verses 10 through 15 talk about you have a treasure worth far more than any amount of food or clothing or piles of money you have the assurance of God's overflowing grace you have all that you need for eternity and that too is something you can share with others you can tell them about the grace of God and that thankfulness for his grace will overflow father This morning we stand here not on our own merits. Lord, even if we tried our whole lives to measure up, we would constantly fall and fail. And we're so thankful that in ages past, by your grace, you've called and chosen us and and you've secured us through the cross that the cross Jesus' death on the cross and the blood that was shed for us forgave us of all of our sins. And the work has been done because he is alive and he's on the throne.
And one day he will come back for us. And so until then, we have our hope set fully on the grace that will come back for us. And so help us to gird up the loins of our mind. Help us to, help us to, to constantly be aware. You might say it's difficult. Man, I'm working. It's hard to really focus on the grace of God. No, we can. You've, you've made it overflow and, and you've made it abound in our hearts and lives. And so we can draw upon your grace to do what you've called us to do. And we want to see um, the power of your grace working in us as it changes us and working uh, through us in the lives of others. In his name we pray, amen.